Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today, it's an executive who works behind the scenes to quietly run one of the biggest production companies in our industry. Ryan Lochner is one of the youngest, most successful producers I've ever met. Her quiet, calm, and smarts, what made her climb the ranks at Asylum Entertainment. From a low-level producer to the executive vice president of programming today, she's overseeing shows for major networks and helping keep the train on the tracks every day, which is not an easy feat. Ryan's Road is interesting, not traditional at all. Started as a poor kid in North Dakota, film school at USC, onto one of the biggest competition reality series right out of college, and then climbing the ranks, sometimes reluctantly, and then grabbing the bull by its horns at Asylum. It's one of the most inspiring stories I've heard on the podcast to date. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. How's your morning? My morning? It's it's almost mid-morning. I've been up for hours. Oh, what yeah, are you you're about? right. God, yeah. I'm, I'm like <laughs> five hours of sleep, two podcasts behind me, two in front of me. Awesome. So it's You're been, in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. Right. I, we are plowing forward. My first woman of the morning, though. Oh, okay. I, I, I feel honored. I love doing the women because I for some reason it's disproportionate. I don't do enough. Um, I think that that's a that's a bigger issue. I know. We need to talk <laughs> about industry, that. Yeah. <laughs> Time's up, baby. Time's up. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, we'll get into that a little later. Um, I always start by uh, the podcast by saying how I met my guest. And you and I met, I guess, a couple months ago in your yeah. offices. Um, we came in to pitch you. It was a crazy story. We don't Super need to get crazy. into yeah. it. And your face was just like, what the hell am I hearing? You had a lot of... Very good questions. It was like you were asking for all of us. It was a very convoluted, crazy story that we still really don't have the answers to. I still want to know the answers. Yeah, by I want to know too. Yeah. We go, inquiring minds will need to know that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was impressed by you. I, I think again, I'm someone with a lot of sort of hyper energy. So someone that's very calm, cool, collected, <laughs> smart. I I always respond really well to that because oh, I'm thank like, you. Uh, you know, it's like magnets attracting. Yeah. Like, no, Ooh. my doctor's always like, do you have blood pressure? Yeah, I was like, is she not interested or is she just really chill? Because I don't meet people on TV like you. Yeah, no, my showrunners are, are always like, I don't know how to read that energy. Yeah. Like, you're such yeah. an enigma. And I was like, I think that works to my advantage. I'm going to keep that one up. It's very mysterious. <laughs> very mysterious. Keep them guessing. Um, and that was at Asylum. Uh, as I said in my intro, you're you're running running the show over there. And I really wasn't aware. I'd heard your name, um, and I had already had met with Steve and kind of knew who you were. But yeah. then when I found out that you were kind of running the whole operation and you were basically a baby, yeah. uh, <laughs> in, in my mind, but not in, you know, and I get that you're a grown woman, but but very young to be in such an amazing position that you are, which is a testament to a lot of things that we'll talk about. Um, just incre- incredibly impressed even more. So oh, thank I'm you. really happy. And then actually Jackie Pittman, who I yes. had on, who I adore. Adore. And she you guys, is one of the best. One of the best. You worked on To Rome With Love together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to keep this in, but how is it the show doing, by the way? It's good. good. It's good. Yeah. No, okay. Bravo's happy with it. That's I think awesome. That it's really well done. Thank you. It's fun. It's, it's crazy. It's super fun. Yeah. <laughs> she she is really a force. She's um, yeah. she's exactly the kind of partner I love to be with. She Aww. really loves, loves, loves that project. She and does. Diane loves that project. And it was so easy for us to get behind it. And, yeah. you know, um, as a as a black woman myself, I think that that is a demographic that is fairly underserved, despite the fact that they're a huge part, especially of the cable market. So 
being able to do something that kind of embraced them and empowered them and took them abroad um, was super fun. The girls were so fun. The show was so hard. <laughs> it had an incredible date on imagine. it. I can imagine. Well, it just was shooting in another country. Yeah. And, and by the time this airs, I don't know if it'll still be going on, but if you should watch it on Bravo. It's it's right after Real Housewives of Atlanta, and you can yep. also watch it on demand. You can. But it's a lot of fun. You, got, you did a great job with casting. Some Thank you. gorgeous women on there. Jesus yeah. Christ. And then there's like, the woman from the cooking channel. Yeah. I'm like, how do I know this woman? It's, yeah. uh, that was like blew my mind, but I realized it was her. And then yeah. they got like, the, she wasn't married to that guy anymore. I know. Yeah. Like, that was what? the whole drama. She hadn't shared yes. her story. She right. wasn't sure if she really wanted to. And then, was, yeah, she delved into that and goes on. She has a really remarkable journey. I think they all do, but um, yeah, that's, yeah, she's that's a great journey the in the show. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So Jackie emailed me out of the blue over Christmas break with the headline, with the subject of the email, Ryan Lochner. <laughs> and she's like, you need to have her on. She's was my name spelled incorrectly. Yeah. I was like, girl, you're one of my I best was, friends. Well, that's why I was like, is this the same woman I met at Asylum? Because I remembered her last name being different. Yeah. So I was confused, too. But we got it. We'll get it right on the podcast. Um, and you have a really, and I was intrigued. I was intrigued by, first of all, anytime I can get a woman on the podcast who's successful, I'm excited. Anytime I get a black woman, it's a double header just because you're starting to narrow the field, unfortunately. Yep. Um, and then with someone with such an inspiring, cool story, which I then, you know, I'm excited to talk to you about. Um, anyway, I'm just really happy to have you. Oh, well, I'm happy to be here. So now you're going to impress all of our listeners oh my with, God. with your journey. Oh so, my God. so so, at the risk of uh, of simplifying, you grew up a poor girl in North Dakota. Should we just start right there? Yeah. Sounds like the beginning of The Jerk or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I haven't seen that movie yet. Um, oh, God. No, no, no. That's a classic. Um, no, I have seen that movie. Oh, okay. I just haven't seen the movie on The Poor Girl from Oh, Mexico. right. Yeah, um, let's make that movie. Yeah, let's do it. Right? Are you yeah. writing your book at some point? Um, No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. I, You know, I think life is for living, at least at this part. So, right. Um, <laughs> for now. For now. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I was born in North Dakota. I was there for the first five years. Okay. Um, yeah, didn't come, f- you know, I don't know that there are many Silver Spooners in North Dakota. It's <laughs> right. not really you didn't come from the that. rich side of the yeah. tribe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> rich side of the, um, wheat, of the wheat. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but my dad was in the military, so we uh, moved around a lot. So I spent five years there, moved all the way around kind of the world a couple times. And um, yeah, but was never on the track for entertainment. That wasn't really, I mean... I don't think most people with my background. Well, I'll just ask you, how many producers do you know from North Dakota? I think zero. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I needed a minute. But I think as far as I know, zero. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they're, they exist, they but exist. I don't know who they are. No, no, a lot from Connecticut we're finding out. But yeah, there are Dakota. tons from Connecticut. Yeah, tons from Connecticut. Yeah, yeah there's no, a little bit of Connecticut racket happening. Yeah, I know. Like, like, just, yeah, what is in the water there? It's something going on. And I yeah. technically was born in Connecticut, so oh, okay. moved after a year. But I guess if you're going to put me in that bucket, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, so wow, yeah. So then, um, and then impoverished was... How uh, you or Jackie had said, mm-hmm. um, like, what does that mean? Um, I mean, look, I don't think that I, I don't have a sob story. I don't have an Oliver Twist story, <laughs> right. certainly. Um, you know, I think that my parents did the best that they could. Yeah. But we, we, you know, we certainly had, we didn't come from a ton of money. So I think that that kind of just made us scrappy early. Um, I always tell people you should ruin your kid's childhood um, by any <laughs> conventional standard because it'll make them a stronger person. But I completely agree. I mean, you look at all successful people; they've had the worst childhoods. <laughs> Seriously, I always joke with my parents like you didn't give enough adver- adversity growing up. Like I don't know how to deal with hard things. Right? Exactly. It's, well, no, you develop all I those coping agree. mechanisms you do. in your kid. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't. You know, we weren't we weren't living on the street or anything like that. But right. I think we didn't. 
you know, we kind of had to make our own entertainment, was, which was sort of the beginning of me as the storyteller, as the oldest of a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, kind of trying to keep them entertained became sort of almost a full-time job outside of school. So Really? Um, I think that was really my my sort of entree into it. Um, so, yeah, I think that that— that piece of my background was tough, but it was really because we moved around. So my brothers, like, yeah. even though you didn't like them all the time, they were, like, the only people you knew you were going to know <laughs> right, when you got to Germany. They were yeah. study. So, so you were overseas, too. We're going to Germany. Okay. We don't speak that language. We don't know anyone there. So I guess my brother, who's five years younger than me, and I'm a child, is my best friend now. Wow. So let's just, like, make that one work. Yeah. Yeah. So then you thought— I want to go to California for college, or like, how calculated was that decision? Not at all. No, really, was <laughs> not. It was yeah, the opposite of that. I mean, well, again, I didn't, you know, because I didn't have any a, a ton growing up. My initial thought, which I think is super common, yeah, um, for kids who are like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get out of this. Is I'm just going <laughs> to be a doctor or a lawyer because okay. um, I'm going to make some money. So forever, I was on the 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 lawyer track. I never really wanted to be a doctor, but I was like, yeah. I could be a lawyer. I could yeah. do that. And I did, you know, all of the things that you need to do to kind of like set yourself up to go to a great, um, you know, program for pre-law and stuff like that. But at the same time in high school, I started writing screenplays. And I had a friend who was this actually kind of like super poor kid who ended up going to Juilliard for piano. And he was like, you know, there are a lot of lawyers in the world. Like, you can be a lawyer at some point, but, you know, maybe you should see if you can get into film school because you're really good at that. And Best advice you ever got. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I applied really, really just to USC. Okay. And, and yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll just go right for USC. Yeah, not, I didn't really have any concept of, uh, right. of, like, whether or not that was a difficult school to get into. Yeah. People <laughs> just kind of told me that that was the best one to go to. So I was like, all right. Right. And then I applied to a bunch of schools thinking, like, well, if I don't really get into that program, I'll just— a lawyer. So, <laughs> so it was the fallback. <laughs> it was, so the, it was fallback. the fallback. So, yeah, so you got, got into in, USC early? Yeah. So I got into the production track and wow. the rest was history. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Did you love it? Uh, no. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes and no. I think I really, really liked the school. I think that okay. it was really a culture shock for me, um, which is funny because I'd lived in a, a lot of different cultures. So I didn't I didn't think that could happen yeah. necessarily. Right, but, right. You thought um, I'll get, I can adapt to any environment because right. I've been doing that. Right. Um, I think that the thing that really hit me as a freshman was how um, all-consuming the idea of production was for so many of the kids who were on my track. <laughs> and there were not many. You know, they only yeah. picked 50 kids. Yeah. So it was like these 50 kids who were really obsessed with, like, they just watched movies all the time. And they watched all this stuff all the time. And right. it was really shocking to me because I— have never been that kid. Right, I'm always right. like, well, when are we going to do yeah. math and science and read? And like, <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I kind of. That's funny. I didn't recognize like how that track would really affect me. So I actually really fell in love with Italian my freshman year. It all um, led really, I fell in love with love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm telling you, that is the That's perfect weird, show for me. Actually, well, really, I fell in love with my professor okay. of Italian. Okay, let's, yeah. let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> this very tall Florentine man. I was like, oh my god, he's so cute. Um. And I was like, yeah, I could major in this. So yeah. I picked up a second major. And I think that the Italian balancing out the cinema was actually what kept me on that track, was that I needed some um, some other community who wasn't, like, obsessed with, like, critical studies. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I love the film, too. And, right. you know, I want to talk. But I think that it all came down to shots and angles. And for me, and I think that this is a really big piece of why I wanted to come um, to move into the unscripted piece of it was because, you know, 
look, I love a good camera and I love putting a good team together and I love getting a DP and a director who are obsessed with things like that. Yeah. But I don't want to be obsessed with things like that. Um, I'm always obsessed with the context and the story and what is driving, what's driving these people, what's driving these characters, what's driving these women, yeah. why do they want to go there. And so the social context of the films that we were watching was really what what was important to me. And, I, you know, breaking it down into like, you know, what lens someone used was just like the opposite of what I was interested in. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I totally think, hear yeah. you. <laughs> I was like, like oh, my God, I'm, are we still in this class? I, like, I feel the same yeah. way. Yeah, like eyes glaze over. Just, and it's funny because I've always, yeah. I always liked math and science and those kind of like technical yeah. things. But to me, again, there's like a story to that. Right. Like, I just I don't care about this piece of glass. Like no, I just, just make it look pretty. That's I just love I that you love it. Yeah, like, exactly. You know what I mean? And like, I know where I want to get. the final product is. Yeah, totally. It's like you're going to figure out how we get from A to Z and I'm going to empower you to do that i trust you entirely totally totally yeah so okay so you graduate high school uh, college sorry yep. and of italian and film major italian and film major so you were set up to be fellini yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i was like at some point i will definitely move to rome all right i just didn't realize it would be for a bravo show that's hysterical so then tv happens kind of right away yeah Tell us that. Well, how that happened. It happened by accident, actually, um, as most things do. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I had figured out how to. Um, well, I hadn't really figured out how to. I had just um, decided not to do work study, and that instead I would take this loan because I had calculated that if I did that, then I could save the money from the loan and just get a job mm-hmm. um, during school. So I was like, okay, this is what my kind of nest egg, my like safety parachute will be after college. So I had enough money, I think, to like live out here for maybe like two weeks or yeah. like a month. I was like, and, and then it, otherwise I have to move back to El Paso, which is where I went to yeah. high school, which is where my mom was living. And right. I was like, that is the not an answer. Like right. I can't yeah, actually right, go right. back to, like I love El Paso, but I can't go back totally. to like that. Actually, you're not going to become a film and TV producer there. Right. So I was doing a bunch of, like, I would do any gig. I would be, I was, like, on every really terrible music video that happened mm-hmm. in the summer of 2006. Um, and I happened to be on Craigslist, and I responded to this ad, which was, like, <laughs> we're dating no, ourselves no details. Now. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, like, no details right. at all. It could have been a murderer. Right, no, it could have been. Um, <laughs> and I was also, like, the most naive kid. Right. I think I had, like, <laughs> well, kind North of stayed. Dakota. Yeah, I was, like, yeah. I was, and I just didn't know the business. Like, that yeah. piece of it also was such a revelation. When you're starting out, how do you know anything? No, I, mean, I knew nothing at all. Right. Um, I think, and I didn't, and I had opted at USC to um, produce people like their undergrad theses rather than do an internship. So oh, I cool. really never, so really that had been my whole world for a while. Was like doing this project, doing this project. Right. Yeah. So I didn't really know the layout of the town. And, and, I, and I'm always, I've always actually been terrible at stuff like that too. <laughs> like, so it's like, it's, yeah, I, probably even if I had an internship, I would still be dumb, but That's hilarious. Um, so I respond to this ad. I don't recognize the address at all. Okay. I'm like driving around. Um, I get to what is CBS Radford. Yeah. Um, I'm like asking where to go. I'm yeah. apparently not looking at any signs. It's like the summer and you're at CBS Radford. Like anyone yeah. who knows anything about this industry is like, oh yeah, that's for Big yeah, Brother. Right, um, right. But I had no idea no. at all. Um, so I park my car. I like wander around this like massive space. I have no idea where I'm going. And I meet this guy. It is confusing uh, there. I no, will it's say super, for the record. It is super like, confusing. You, at any point, yeah. you're like crashing into yeah. a little bungalow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I still get confused there. No, it's it's really terrible. Um, <laughs> not your fault, right? So they come out and they get me and they take me to this office and they just like leave me in this office and um for like 10 minutes and then this guy comes in um and he's like 
he just launches right in like, I know what's going on. And I'm like, wow, okay, right, just in the middle act of like the you sentence. know what's going on. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, so, the, you know, I'm looking for an assistant and all this stuff. And he's like, and I, and, and he, then he looks at me, I think really looks at me and he's like, can recognize that I'm like 22. Right. Maybe, I think maybe I was 22, but I was maybe 21, right. like turning 22. Right. Like if you were a day. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he's like, uh, so he's asking me these questions I have no idea of. Like, I probably would have been the worst assistant. I also can just am confounded by by telephones in general, yeah. so it's just would have been the best job. It would have been terrible. So it was an assistant job for. Yeah. Well, it was assistant job for Arnold Shapiro. Um, and, and explain to those who don't know who <laughs> Arnold Shapiro is. So Arnold Shapiro did Scared Straight, um, and as a kid who wanted to go into documentary yeah. and who ultimately did go into documentary in, in reality, um, as soon as he said his name, my yeah. eyes kind of lit up. Okay, and I was so like, you I was knew. Like, oh. I was like, you did Scared Straight, and I, which was kind of, I think, shocking for him because right. he was like, like wow, I did right. Scared Straight like, like that's not decades and decades exactly. ago. Um, but like the real kind of And we're here for Big Brother, and I think right. probably everyone else was like, oh my God, I love Big Brother. Nice. Um, so you were impressing him without even knowing it. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I did. And, and you know, he was super sweet. And then he said, okay, basically, um, if you're going to be my assistant— you know, I also have a big speaking career and what I do outside of Big Brother. This was like, I think one of his, the last seasons that Arnold was on Big Brother. Okay. Um, he said, you know, I give, I give a lot of speeches. So, you know, I send out a lot of memos and things like this. So anyone who sits at my desk, you know, has to double check and just have good grammar, make yeah. sure that, you know, I'm not, you know, sending something crazy out there. Right. So he's like, I'm going to give you this memo. And he puts on this like clipboard with a red pen. And he says, um, you know, I wouldn't normally make this many errors. But, you know, I just want to make sure that, that you have good grammar skills. So he sends me out of the office oh my God, to, to like sit there. It. Yeah, to correct it. And so I go and I'm like, I'm feeling fairly confident because I was the, you know, oh captain of the literary God. criticism team. Uh, hello. So um, I'm like, OK, yeah, not a problem. And then I get out there and I realize like I should have asked like 10 more questions about oh it. God. And so then uh, but this is because I'm 22 and I'm like overthinking everything. Right. Um, which is what you do in that whole decade. Um, <laughs> so. I I, I was funny. like, man, I didn't ask him if it was like, is it formal? Is it informal? Right. Like, What's I'm making context? it so complicated. He's right. basically just like, where do the commas go? Exactly. Like, that's it. Um, that's so I'm out there and I'm out there for like 15 minutes. And he probably thought like, I just I put it down slow. and left or something right. like that. Right. Oh, okay. So I bring it back in and I have like fully marked this memo up and I've given him options. Like, you know, if you know the person and this is, you know, <laughs> more casual, you can oh write it like God, this if I it's more it. formal. And he just looked at it and he was like. Uh, he's like, what do you want to do? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to be a producer. I, I want to, I want to do what you do. And he's like, then my desk is not the right place because I do all these speeches. Most right. of it's just like, you know, it's not even in television anymore because I, you know, I've yeah. got this other world right. that I'm, I'm crafting and stuff like that. So oh he walked God. me downstairs to the post department and said, you should hire this kid. That's a great story. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I came By up through being post after too that. good, you weren't good. <laughs> yeah. He's it like, sort of what works is like this? That. Yeah. yeah. He's like, so what do you want to do? He's like, yeah, you'd be a disaster at that desk. So um, did you start as a PA? I did. On Big Brother. Yep. That's, were you like, what? I mean, you was that a big show even then? Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was I mean, this was your, the all-star season. Your friends must seven. have been like, what? Yeah. That's your first job in television? Yeah. Yeah. And then I got some of them on it as the as PAs as well. And I moved up on that. Um uh, to be the post coordinator, one of them, um, that show was massive. So especially right. back then, I, right. I don't, I don't know the exact setup now. I'm sure it's still the same. They, yeah. you know, they have a lot of people working in that post department. And I stayed in post for probably a year. I, I, but I met probably the people who would, who would help me for the next five years. I met all on that show. 
And that's such a lesson, too, yeah. which is like when you're in the trenches yep. and you're working hard, those are going to be your people. They are. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. And, and so what, did, what was your biggest lesson during that time working on that first job? You know what? It was interesting because Big Brother— um, Big Brother was one of these shows because back then, and it's a little, I think it's a little bit different now, but back then they were basically recording to these DVDs and they would break every four hours. So in between those four hours, um, there'd sometimes be lulls for people like P- the PAs or the coordinators, yeah. something like that. And then, you know, all the tapes would pop and there was like a million different things that you had to do really quickly. Right. Um, so, and I am not good at being bored. Like I've just, I've hated, there's nothing I hate more. Same so way. I'm like, I'll do anything. Like, right. so my job would be done and I would go to the producers um, and, you know, kind of ask them like what they were doing. Could I help them? And, you know, yeah. they can be like, can you, I need an ID shot. This person in this room looking yeah. at this person that kind of has this vibe. And so then I would look for their stuff. And, um, and I, that's how I met a producer named Kenny Rosen who I then worked for for a number of seasons on Hell's Kitchen. Mm. Um, but I asked him, I think, you know, basically, how do you get, how do I become a producer? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get that job? And he said, what I what I think is probably one of the smartest things, and just the truest, but yeah. to a 22-year-old, like, revel, it was a revelation, yeah. was just like, you know how you get the next job? He said, do that job. And then someone will recognize that you are doing it, that you can do it, and that you're willing to do it, um, without being like pat on the back and they'll hire you for it. And I feel like I give that piece of advice to people the most because, you know, awesome. I have a totally agree. I have an open door policy at the company. And so, you know, I talk to the our, our youngsters and, yeah. and coordinators and stuff like that, just about like what they want to do. And they always ask me the same questions. And the kids who really get that are the ones who I know, I know will make it. I completely agree. I mean, the best experience is doing it. You have to. I mean, you really mm-hmm. have, and you and it, and you can't skip, mm-hmm. and you can't take shortcuts. Yeah, because when you do, there's going to be big. I mean, you can catch up. Yeah, you know, but there's a lot of things that like there are lapses or, mm-hmm. or that you just like sometimes you can't make up for that real experience. It's true. I think the fake it till you make it piece always kind of catches up to you. Yeah, as much as everybody does to an extent. If you're successful, you've probably Mm -hmm. faked it till you make it just because you Mm -hmm. hopefully are rising quickly and you're not toiling as a PA for 17 years. You (laughs) know what I mean? So there's always that like, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, now I do, now I do. Yeah. But you still have to do it. You jump it. Yes, that's exactly right. You still have to do it. So you then went on to sort of this competition reality world with Big Brother and Hell's Kitchen, Bachelorette. Mm Mm-hmm. That's its whole. That's a whole other thing, right? Like it's a whole other thing. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a whole. Other, it was the only thing I knew. <laughs> right. So you in thought, my like, world, there's like, oh, this stuff? is just how it goes. Thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? Like, and I thought about it very specifically because it came from the tail end of that Big Brother world. I eventually went back to Big Brother in on the story side, on the producer side, and um, and I had kind of traveled with that group because. That group was, we'd do Big Brother, and then you'd go to, like, Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. And it was kind of bef- maybe before Kitchen Nightmares, or Qu- Kitchen Nightmares eventually came in there. But it was kind of like that circuit that you would yeah, do. Yeah, So they all kind of produced the same way. I met um, a great producer, Jeff Hyman, who um, I worked with at a company called Mess Media on this small show for ESPN2 called Madden Nation. Okay. And I was the post coordinator for that. Huh. And it was what I, I think it was what I did right after um, Big Brother 7, actually. Oh, my God. And, you know, he... 
he was a producer and I did the same thing. I was like, I want to learn how to do these like string. Like I knew the Avid from USC. Okay. Um, but I didn't necessarily know like, oh, this is this is what you how you prepare something for an editor. That's and he great. really spent the time to sit down with me and say like, this is how you do it. Wow. And so See, in my mind, there was too. like, this is how you make a script. You make a paper script and you yeah. cut it down and you yeah. give it to your editor and you give you know you do these things and that's kind of how all of those shows worked at least back then. Right. Um, because not everybody knew the Avid, so yeah. it was like these paper scripts. And then on Big Brother, you just didn't have the time. You didn't right. have the time you to just had to get stuff. right in there. You had to make decisions. Um, and, and I, I lament the day that we lost the paper script. I'm, I always tell people I'm like moments away from making everybody at the company do them because you just make better decisions. I, it's funny that you say that because I've always been the paper script person too. Mm-hmm. And I'll, and I found in the last few years, you had to just throw it out. They don't even look at it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I wrote it for a reason. I want yeah. you to actually make this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not that they shouldn't mm-hmm. put in their own stuff, yeah. but like, this is the structure I want. These are the bites I right. want. So you were in broadcast. I mean, those were mm-hmm. all broadcast, big, you yep. know, the big budget mm-hmm. broadcast shows. Big teams, yeah. Big teams, <laughs> yeah. Big craft services. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whole other world. So you, at some point, you then jumped to the the cable side. The cable side, So yeah. then, like, what happened? Was that by accident? Um, it wasn't by accident. I think that I'd always been interested in the storytelling that was happening in cable. I think that the truth was that was what I that's what I watched more often than not. Um, like, I, I love those really scrappy doc follows that were kind of, you know, in the early 2000s were— uh, really well received um, intervention. I loved and and things like that. Yeah. Just telling that story, sticking with someone for for that long. Yeah. Um, I was that was great. I mean, the com- what was great about competition was that it really was the social experiment. I mean, those systems and the in the production companies who do them and in the the guys who lead those companies really have such a vision for how it's going to go before it even happens. That, yeah. Like the idea that we don't, you know, that we would be doing this doc follow where we didn't have like a 48 page Bible (laughs) and a competition in the middle and like a reward and punishment. I was like, wait, what are we going to do? And it was like, well, we don't know. And I thought that that freedom was really kind of amazing. So I I wanted to experience that. And I got the opportunity actually with my first um, show with Asylum um, with Stephen Jonathan on a show for TLC called Addicted. Um, And that was a totally, totally different experience. And what was that show? So that show was so if you if you think about intervention as yeah. the show that's kind of from the um, sober perspective, like it's kind of like it here's is. my plea, here's my oh, plea okay. <laughs> for my son or daughter or my wife, my husband, my mom, like yeah. whatever it is, like you really you invest in the I want this addict to get help because I want their family to be better, yeah. that unit to be remade. Yeah. Um, and you kind of you spend the time with the addicts, but they're they're so loaded and they don't know that this intervention is coming. Right. 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 right, um, right. So okay. addicted is a little bit the reverse, which is the addict had to be the one that reached out to us. Huh. They knew that there was an intervention. Wow. coming. Um, they had to want to change their life. It followed an interventionist named Christina Wanzelak, who really believes in that theory, mm-hmm. really believes that people change when they're willing to change. Yeah. I um, so we we followed her and some of her clients, mainly in the Bay Area. Um, it was a super scrappy show. Um, what was it like to be with addicts that were that deep in, mm-hmm. into their addiction? In that first season, I didn't. I did just the post okay. side of it. But to watch their lives unfold, because it was really, we were with them the entire time. And wow. I watched, you know, all of that footage on a loop, which is just like, Was it wow. depressing? Um. It is depressing, but I think when you when you have a goal for what that final product will yeah. be, um, and we did, we got we had we got so much feedback from that show 
from addicts who had seen it, from families who had seen it. Or and inspired. How, yeah, and how it kind of, like, changed them and helped them, which I think kind of makes those hours worth it. But, yeah. Did it have a good track record of people that gotten sober from it? Yeah, it still does, actually. Yeah. Still on? It's not still on, but the, oh, but the, the people the have stayed yeah, clean. They, wow. A lot of them have stayed clean. That they makes still me. keep in touch, which is... The second season, I, I, I ran the post side of it and okay. and um, spent a little bit of time in the field and develop, did develop some relationships with the with some of the addicts who still keep in touch and, yeah, many of whom are still clean. That's amazing. Yeah. So you took over post in that second season and you were going to leave Asylum, but then you didn't leave Asylum. So talk about sort of the next chapter. Well, I did leave Asylum just temporarily. I went back to, I think it was on Kitchen Nightmares, and it had okay. been I, my second or third season with Kitchen Nightmares. Um, but really, I had spent the last two and a half years sort of in the Gordon Ramsay loop. Oh, I was like dreaming in Gordon Ramsay. And what about, sorry, quick side, because uh-huh. I meant to ask you before, loved Gordon, hate Gordon? I love Gordon. Okay, guys. I think he's, he's not going to listen to this. So yeah, we yeah. Just, <laughs> Yeah, you I, might. You don't he's know. amazing talent. He's I don't know him talent. as a. Uh, yeah. Is he a softy behind or is the scenes or is he like what's his? Yeah, I mean, I think that even when you see him on on screen and people are like, oh, he's a yeller, he's a this, yeah. and it's like, no, he's he, the truth is that he's really passionate. Like right. he really has a high standard, and I yeah. think he demands a lot from people. I think he demands a lot of, from people off the screen too. But yeah. it always comes from a place that where he kind of wants the best for you at the same time as, as the best for the show and the project and the enterprise that yeah. everyone's kind of, like, working with. So I found him super impressive. Um, and, yeah, and and fun and funny and, and really charming. I like hearing that. Yeah. Actually, I, I got wildly sick during um, a dinner service where I was on the floor. We were doing this episode in um, New Orleans. Well, actually, just right outside of New Orleans in a town called Metairie. And I wasn't feeling well. I've, I have the preface to the, is the I have a pork intolerance. Really? Um, yeah, it's really super weird. Oh my god! Um, You're kosher. Uh, yeah, by accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, I put I guess I put cheese on 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 meat, so maybe okay, not kosher. Maybe but, not. <laughs> yeah, but I don't eat pork. Um, Interesting. And uh, and yeah, not because I absolutely can't. And so, so we're down there. And we're in, but we're like in New Orleans essentially. So all yeah. of the catering. Basically has pork in it, so everything's fried and all the stuff. So I was like, exactly. "Well, let me just try the veggie pasta because, and let me just keep it easy." So I have that, and the thing about an intolerance as opposed to an allergy, like it basically, I don't create the enzyme to break it down. So when yeah. when you start to digest something, that's when your body will react. It's not like the okay. oh, I just had pork and now like my face explodes or something like that. Like right. it's not an allergy in that sense. So oh I have the lunch. We go. We go in. Well, I'm on the floor. I'm, you know, essentially my job was to go up to tables and ask them if they wanted to send something back or okay. something and flag if it was an issue like, oh, we should send Gordon to this table to Got check it. in on it and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I was just not feeling well. And he was going over to, you know, we were fil- filming him doing something on the floor. And he s- kind of saw me out of this corner of his eye and like stopped and came up to me. And he was like, you look horrible. I was like, that's <laughs> the worst you. thing ever to hear from right. Gordon Ramsay. I appreciate that's it. That's awful. Yeah, Thank you. Because you know it's true. Um, he's yeah. only going to tell you the yeah. truth. Yeah, and he's like, no, no, no. Like, you seem, like, really sick. Yeah. And yeah. I was impressed. And I was. And they took me to the hotel. And I yeah. was like, I think I was sick for, like, two weeks after that. Um, wow. And it found out that there was a pork, uh, had oh been pork, God. like, bone, like a ham bone or something in that pasta sauce that they uh, called vegetarian. Okay. Yeah, disgusting. I feel sick, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was really horrible. Um, but I was I was impressed because it was like he was in the heat of the this is happening right yeah. now and was like, no, this, let's, he stopped until he was like, get, let's get someone who's going to take her home and like make sure she's okay and like, you know, checked in the next day to make sure that I was okay. So I think on that 
in that way, it's like he's not this like talent who's like, I'm going yeah, to my trailer now I and I don't that. care about anyone else who's on this Aww. team. Like he was he was always really impressive, I thought. I love that story. Yeah. Okay, so you took a break, then you went back to asylum. I went back to asylum. We were waiting to see if the show was gonna come back. Um what happened instead was they like um they played, you know, the industry's favorite game, which is like network Yahtzee. Um, where they just like roll up all of the um, people into the cup and shake them all out and see where they land. So, um, so they kind of reorganize. That. <laughs> is that your own term, Network Yahtzee? Yeah, That's I mean, so perfect. I'm, you know, it's like it's that is dangerous. So you see one one fall and you're like, oh, we're we gonna lose everybody. Uh, oh you never my know. God. You never know. Totally. Um, but that network got kind of uh, reorganized. Yeah. So the show ultimately was didn't ultimately didn't come back, but we didn't know that. I kept reaching out to Steve to say. You know, what do you think? What are the chances? Yeah. Like, they is want Steve me to Michaels go. who runs Asylum. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I'd gotten an offer to go on to, I think it was another, like, next show or something like that. I was like, you know, should I take this? Should I not? Yeah. And, um, and he said, well, you know, um, I have an opportunity where I feel like if you take it, you will never be bored again. You will never do the and same show again. Never, and I was like, oh, that seems great. Like, what is it? And he's yeah. like, well, you know, I'm looking for... A creative executive. I need a VP of current. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, executive? Like, it had never even crossed my mind to be an executive. I will be entirely honest in saying I didn't even know an executive did. Right. Um, I told him that. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I will probably be terrible at that job because I don't even know what it is. And he's like, no, like, you'll figure it out. And, um, wow. and yeah, that was just over five years ago. So he just saw something in you, even yeah. though he kind of had limited... Mm-hmm. Experience with you, right? Yeah, I mean, you're really just on post for a show. Yeah, addicted to, it. and he was really, he was really close to that show. He okay. was, um, um, you know, friends with the talent and stuff like right. that. And I think it was a show that he and Jonathan, um, you know, were both pretty close to. So yeah, um, so yeah, I had I had a good relationship with him, but I didn't have a ton of interaction with him on the day to day. Alex Piper was there okay. w- at that time, and he was the SVP, and I had. More interaction with Alex, so I think that at some level he's probably an advocate of of mine at that time too. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you're 28 years old. You're basically mm-hmm. running production for a, a, a big company. Well, I was a VP of Current, so I came in and I had just a couple of shows, and so okay. Alex and I would tag team them. Got it. Um, and was I 20? Yeah, I guess I was 28. I think it was 27, 28. Yeah. But you were the boss of showrunners that have been in the business right. way longer. Right, which than was you. a super humbling experience. Um, How did you deal with that? Because I've been in that position too, and it's just mm-hmm. very tricky. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even just that I was young. I was young and female, and like, <laughs> like, like half black, but like the kind of half black where it's like she's ethnically ambiguous. Like, what's happening here? Um, <laughs> you know. So it's like there were a lot of question marks. Um, and I look back at pictures of myself at 20, and I was like, wow, I did actually look really young. Um, uh, you and, still do, you for know, the record. Like, oh, thank you. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I walked in, and I think all three of my shows had showrunners, uh, male, strong male showrunners, smart guys, really talented, um, all of whom, like, were like, I know what I'm doing, and they weren't wrong. Um, and here was this girl who's, like, supposed to give me notes. And, of course, I don't know how to do the job either, so... Um, my fallback position was the job that I didn't know how to do, which was to be a freelance producer. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, well, we could do these things. And But I tried to be really respectful of their stuff, and I didn't. I was not always successful at that. Like, I, w- I wouldn't say, like, oh, I just figured out how to be the yeah. best executive ever. Yeah. Like, no, there were it's definitely some failures along right. there. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I had one show in particular. I won't call out the showrunner. I'm actually good friends with him now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I saw the first cut of it, and it was a tough show to figure out. And... I was like, wow, like this, 
definitely need some work. It's going to get there. But okay, like here, here's my feedback. And um, I sent him the feedback. And to his credit, he didn't act, he didn't actually respond with any level of like, I'm not doing these. Um, he kind of just like ignored them. Okay. Um, I'm sure the thought he had was like, that's cute. Yeah. Like that I'm going to take these, <laughs> yeah, these yeah. thoughts. Like, yeah, that's really <laughs> that's funny. Sweet. Um, that's hilarious. And so he then I see the network rough cut go out. Yeah. And I watched the cut and like none of my notes had been done. Yeah. And I was I really was like, I don't really know what I should do about that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so my decision was that I wasn't going to do anything about it. Yeah. Right then. Right. I said, you know what? It's been sent to the network yep. and let's see what the network thinks, because, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe the network will watch it and none of the notes that maybe my notes would not have made it better at all. Yep. Um, and, you know, or maybe the network will totally agree, and then he'll realize that my notes are not stupid. Mm-hmm. So I felt like those were the two options. Totally. Um, and then so we, got the, we got the network feedback, and I realized that there was actually a third option. Which was? Which was that um, <laughs> that I was going to be wrong, and he was going to be wrong. Right. Um, so, <laughs> like, there were things that—because I didn't—because I what I didn't really understand at that point— having been a freelance producer where your entire focus is really on like, how can I make the best content that I would make? And I think that sometimes you, you forget that piece of the network is supposed to give you, which is, this is what our demographic wants. This is what works on our channel. You're not just making a show in a vacuum. This is the language of our network. Right. Um, And so what we got back was kind of the, this is the language of our network piece of it that I had never really considered. And I was like, oh, that is really great feedback. And let me put that into my lens for how I watch the show moving forward. And then there were a lot of notes that were like, hey, let's do X, Y, and Z that I had put on that, you know, in the notes that I gave him. So on the one hand, I'm thinking, see, if you would have done my notes, then we wouldn't have gotten these notes. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I was thinking, yeah, but if we had just, we, there were still all of these things for me to learn. So yeah. ultimately I decided that I was not going to confront him on not doing my notes. Instead, yeah. the next time uh, we, I, I got a cut, I did the same thing, watched it down, tried to be, you know, more nuanced in my approach to the show, um, gave him my feedback. And that time he got my feedback, came in, had a conversation about it. We talked about, you know, this is what we're going to do. And we did it. And we were a team kind of moving forward. And I think about what I could have done, which was I could have just been like, I'm, I'm the boss of this and (laughs) I'm going to, I represent the company and we pay all this money. And I think sometimes, I think a lot of times things like that do happen. Absolutely. Um, and I and I and I, I w- I'm not going to tell you that I've been absolutely perfect, um, yeah. have the perfect track record with that either. But I think what I've really learned is that it's just not it's not these have to be partnerships. Ultimately, it doesn't matter that we hire on the showrunner. The show showrunner is a is a big title. And if that person doesn't feel like they're empowered to have, you know, their enough of their vision in it, they're just not going to get there. Absolutely. But as you said, it's a super tricky dance, super. right? Because ultimately, the network doesn't give a shit about the showrunner. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense that, like, it's asylum. Yep. It's your ass on the line. It is. It's not even you. It's Steve Michaels yep. and Jonathan Co- You know, like, mm-hmm. at that point, it's, 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 you're only as good as your next, your last show. That showrunner yep. will go on to do other stuff. Totally. Most likely, unless yep. they have a horrible reputation. Yep. So, so you are, you know, as an executive now with asylum, you mm-hmm. know, the pressure is very different than kind kind of flitting from job to job, from, from network to networks. And yep. also, you need to go pitch 10 more shows to that network yep. and hope for more series from them. We need so, to keep that relationship. Exactly. Yeah, and, it, and it always, and, it, and it's 
such a tricky dance where you don't want to throw your showrunner under the bus mm-hmm. and you don't want to throw the network under the bus. You know, yep. you're you're in that strange position, as yeah. you know. It's just like probably every day. Yep. I mean, so that is your every day is that pretty is much everyday. like— You just described it. That's yeah. my every— <laughs> Right? It's like, every it's like I look at it like you're on that wobbly mm-hmm. um, piece of wood, you know, that if you're not standing exactly in the middle, that it won't—then you'll mm-hmm. fall off. But I think that I think that's true, and I think a lot of people in this position feel that way. Um, but I think my question is like, what's the worst of things going to happen if you fall off? Like, have like, you fallen off? Oh, all the time. So, what's all a good time. example? Um, you know, I think <laughs> I like the failure stories yeah, too. They're so important. They're they're super important. I think that they they you can't get to success if you don't go through failure. Absolutely. So, I mean, we and we've had a lot of them, and we've had a lot of you know discussions with the network. And and look, sometimes you pick the wrong showrunner, and that's huge. Yeah. Um. That's a, that's devastating. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and trying to figure out if it really is wrong or if it's just the timing or are they going to get there. The timing of when you should let someone go is really, really hard. The timing for when you should step in is really, really hard. Yeah. The timing for when you feel like your client maybe doesn't have the best vision for what they're giving you feedback on uh, is so also hard. really hard. Yeah, because um, the network, the client's always right in a way. In a, in a way, until they're not, until it airs and you're like, see? It, well, we that's told, what that's, I mean. You know, like, and then it's the, how much of it is like, well, I told you so because you still want to sell to that person. And so I think ultimately uh, what so hard. The, so the, hard. my mantra is that, yeah. you know, do the make the best decision you can with the information you have. Yeah. Um, and as long as you always make the best decision you can with the information you have, which does not mean you're going to be right, by the way. Yeah. Like, tomorrow you might get new information. You're like, oh, I totally fucked that up because yeah. if I had known this piece. But you can't kick yourself over that. I don't have any regrets for things like that. Um, and, you know, the way that I approach the balance is just to be honest with people. Like, I, you know, it's I begin almost every single um, production meeting in the field with listen remember that production is like Clifford the big red dog <laughs> we get really excited and we don't realize that we're wagging our tail and we're knocking stuff over we're knocking people's houses over yeah. um, and so I tell people that in the field before we break stuff that probably things are going to yeah. break and we're going to try our best not to do it Yeah. Um, and we're going to try to fix it when it happens and we're going to try to fix it quickly but I kind of tell the clients the same thing where it's like we're going to have a yeah. lot of real conversations and well, it's going to be hard and things are going to break and at the end of the day we have to make sure that we all want to walk when we walk away that we all want to work together again because we made not just because like we're all you know we all go to brunch but because we made a good you know piece of, of totally. work here well the other i was just thinking when you mentioned clifford the dog the metaphor that i thought you were going to say was that it starts out of this cute little puppy <laughs> tiny puppy and by yeah. the end it's this massive thing that needs to be airlifted into no, the into the house it always is it's like what yeah exactly it just starts off as one thing and turns into another usually way bigger and more mm-hmm. complicated yep so in terms of, you know, a lot of things happen in the time that you then came on board Asylum in mm-hmm. a big way. You guys yep. bought, got bought by Legendary. That's yep. always a game changer for any company. Totally. You now are, you know, owned by this massive uh, giant yep. and there's lots of money coming in. So I'm sure in some ways it was amazing and exciting, mm-hmm. but you also have numbers to hit and, yep. you know, it becomes corporate in a way that it hasn't before. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we don't have to go too far into it because the story's been told other places. Um and and very well by Jonathan mm-hmm. himself, but Jonathan, who uh, co-created basically uh, um, Asylum with Steve, mm-hmm. he gets sick. And yep. and for those of you who don't know about this story, I guess the thing I would recommend is um, seeing it on 2020, which yep. is online. It's an incredible story. Um, he basically was at real screen and 
doesn't know what's wrong with him. And next thing you know, he's in the hospital near death and loses limbs. And mm-hmm. I mean, and there's an article, I think, in L.A. Times. Yep. In the L.A. Times. Yeah, LA Mag- Weekly, I think. Yeah, 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 the magazine. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot out there. Um, and, it, and it's an unbelievable story of, of, you know, adversity and overcoming adversity. Like, how did that change you, your role at the company, mm-hmm. how you saw the future of Asylum? Like, what? I'm sure it was such a pivotal moment for you. It was huge. I think, I think yeah, I think that it is— probably the disaster that has affected me the most that didn't happen directly to me. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, I think it it really required that everyone change at Asylum. What the When it happened and how it happened was particularly um, difficult because, you know, now, you know, years later, we all know that Jonathan is here and he's back with us. Yeah. It's fine. But in that moment, we really didn't know oh, what was happening. Um, we were at real screen. He goes into the hospital and— you know, I was there with Steve and yeah. Stephanie Lidecker, who was our head of development um, at that time, and Joan Harrison, who yeah. is still our head of scripted development. Um, and we're all in the hospital. And, you know, uh, Jonathan's then girlfriend, um, Jen, was there. And, you know, S- Steve and Stephanie were going to stay, but we're at real screen. We're at, and everyone at real screen knew it was happening. Yeah. And my thought was, you know, I I really just wanted to make sure that our employees didn't hear about it from someone who was there. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, right. I think that that's, it's like such a really huge thing that needs to be. Yeah, of course. You know, you need to get that directly from someone who, you know, has knows quote unquote what's going on, even though no no one really knew what was going on. Right. Right. So <laughs> yeah, I flew right. back, um, and when I got on that plane, I think I think you know Alex had already left, so I was the I was overseeing programming from that perspective. Um, I hadn't moved as much into the the business side, which is where, really where I spend a lot of my time now. Um, but, you know, I sat on that plane and was like, wow, like tomorrow I have to tell, you know, our entire staff that this is happening. And I'm going to have to field some questions that I don't have answers yeah, for. Yeah, you had no um, answers. Like, I, I don't know with any certainty, like, exactly what's going to happen, but— they can't hear that from me. They can't hear that we that we are not, you know, moving forward. And they can't hear. And they, you know, it needs to, they need a leader now. And oh, my God. That was definitely the hardest staff meeting we've ever had. Um, I and, can imagine. But were people what I, crying? Yeah, absolutely. You wow. know, I mean, we really didn't think at that point. No. Like, we were like, this is probably, well, I mean. The doctors were saying, yeah, they were like, say yeah, your this goodbye. is going to be Yeah, exactly. So, wow. um, so, yeah, I think that what I can say is we have a, a truly incredible team. There are a lot of people uh, at the company who w- had been there for years at that point and who are still with us today. And wow. I think that it really took all of them to rally and keep it going. And then I think my goal kind of became like, especially when he sort of stabilized, was kind of like, okay, when he comes back, we have to make sure that it's not like, hey, and then we burn the place down. Like, <laughs> like we have to make sure that yeah. it keeps going forward. Right. And, um, you know, we have to keep up with things that are going on in the industry and it was a humongous hit to us but mm-hmm. um you know we did our best to keep things on track and moving forward we got some good series in that time but we just kind of wanted to make sure that he was proud when he came, yeah. when he oh, came I back. love that amazing story really and and the fact that he's back and yeah. back at it it's just yeah. so incredible so you mentioned that you know at a certain point your job kind of shifted to more of the business of it all mm-hmm. and so what does that mean does that mean dealing with budgets and contracts and talent and yep. network stuff all of the fun stuff yeah all the yeah. legal legal <laughs> i bet yeah and are you like did you find that you're actually really good at it yeah it's funny because <laughs> um i think about this i tease steve about this a lot i said um you know when he wanted me to come over and be a vp I said, okay, well, I'll try it, but I have to tell you, I have never wanted to be an executive. 
like I said, I didn't really know what that meant, but I didn't think it meant anything great. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Like to me, it was like the executives <laughs> were the people that freelancers always complained about. The suits. Yeah, and it was like here's just another you know asshole giving notes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that from a freelance perspective, right. that's really that's, that's. I'm like, what do they even do? You know what I mean? And then you totally. go into the company side, and you're like, oh, it's like yeah. there are company things that need to function, and people have to be in charge of it. Yes. Otherwise, these shows actually can't happen. Um, which is not to overstate. No, no, uh, what the, I, I totally <laughs> like, it's like yeah. we're not superheroes, but right. um, no, but there's a but lot that goes no. on that you think is magical. Yeah, you think is magical, yeah. and when you get back there, you're like, oh, it's like a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. You're like, yeah. oh, this is how it, this <laughs> right. is how it's done. It's not That's that so crazy, glamorous, <laughs> right? Um, but I think we, as you know, when we came under Legendary, um, it did become more corporate, and that just meant that we had to dial things in and um, dial things up and side, and you know, and the industry really took a shift. Um, and I think that it was kind of, it was, I think it was the best time to take that on. It was really, um, it was really interesting to me. I thought, you know, I'll just do this for a little while and then I'll be back to being mainly like the creative producer and stuff like that. But what I, what I realized is I had a really strong creative team and I brought another person in, um, James McNabb, who I adore and he is, um, a huge part of our team and has taken a lot of that kind of like creative. So I would, I would do kind of our Um, really big projects from a creative standpoint, but they, like, I really trust my team entirely. Like, and I take, if they do something, if they, you know, it's like, this happened and it's awful. I'm like, well, that's on me. Like, that's my team. We'll figure it out. Like, I just know that they'll never, they have such great judgment. They're never going to do something that we can't, like, if the train goes off the tracks, like, whatever, trains go off tracks. Like, let's put them back up there. Let's keep it moving. I think that our content's gotten so much stronger. I think that they're a big part of it. I think um, you know, we hire stronger and stronger people. I think there are stronger and stronger people in the industry. So I'm really proud of what we've been able to do in the last couple of years, even with me shifting over to do more of, um, yeah, like, you know, a little bit in the, in the deal part of it, but also just how does this place function? I think that what I learned in that was like, um, that I really like to build machines. And so I look mm-hmm. at it like, that's what I, that's what I do. Like my creative input on most of our shows is yeah. kind of, to say like how, but how should we build? Like how should we build it up front so that it so that we don't have to ask ourselves how we're supposed to be building it in the middle, right. which Doing happens the, a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. like hey, it's got to be on the air tomorrow, and you're like, we'll just figure it out as yeah, we go. And no, it's like I'm so tired plan. of figure it out as you, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm such a process person because I think that if you can Smart. put the process in place up front, then the creatives actually get to be creative for longer. That's great um, thinking. Yeah, but I think it also comes from you know the days that I worked you know, at A. Smith and saw yeah. kind of like how Arthur would run that machine. Right. Like, we really did do 48-page Bibles for those shows. Wow. So you know it was what just I mean? so, such a well-oiled machine. It was such a well-oiled mm-hmm. machine. And I and was like, you know what? That is what I can contribute here. That's what That's I'm—that awesome. is really what I'm good at. Like, let's build. And, um, you know, as the—as budgets have gotten smaller and, and um, t- you know, the turnaround is tighter and— you know, people definitely don't want to take take less and they don't they want to have the same team. It's like, well, how do you balance all of those things? Yeah, like, how do you it's not easy, but it gets easier if you're willing to put a process in place, if you're willing to say, like, this is what we can do and this is what we can't do. And yeah. be clear with expectations up front. So that really has become a big piece of of what I do at the company. So we are unfortunately running out of time. So I want to get to sort of like where you feel things are now in our yeah. industry and how are you adapting to some of the shifts? I mean, I yeah. think there's a lot of producers that are feeling frustrated that yeah. it's a tough time. So where where do you think we are? Where are we going? 
Um, I think that a year ago, I would have said we're going to hell in a handbasket. And I was like, how fast can I get out of this industry and like move to South America? That was like a real life. Seemed like a good plan. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, I was I really made that plan. Yeah. I have that. I still have that backup plan. I'm, uh, I'm happy to. I always tell people, like, is today the day I'm fired because I'm going to South America? <laughs> um, you know, but I think now That's my awesome. perspective is. Um, I'm so encouraged by the technology that we have. I'm so excited about the new platforms. We have a um, a new show with Facebook um, that we're putting together that I'm really excited about. Nice. I think that, you know, I think that there are platforms getting into the game who are like, let's leverage this. And it doesn't have to be, you know, super traditional. And I think that that will help shake up the more traditional networks who also, in my view, don't necessarily have to be so traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, I think it's the best and the in the in the worst time to be in the business. I think it's the best time if you're willing to be nimble. I think nimble is the headline for 2018. Yeah. I think that, you know, and and if you're willing to embrace change and a lot of people have a really tough time with change. Yeah. Um, What's the stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning? Um that's coffee. Yeah, seriously, you <laughs> need it. Um yeah, an IV of, of coffee. Um <laughs> I think the stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning is that I I feel like we have there's never been there have never been better projects, um, and there have never been better projects coming from more diverse places. Right. I think that the the true need of the industry right now is diversity, and I don't just say that as like a mixed race woman. I don't even mean it on the on the level of um, gender and in in race in particular. I think that there needs to be a cognitive diversity. I think we need to wake up to that. I think um, 2017 was um, a really dynamic year. I think that it, it's been called a lot of things, but I think you can't deny that it was super dynamic. It was a wake-up yeah. call. and yep. um, Seismic shift is what huge. I call it. Yeah, huge. And I think that we can live in what, all of the negative of that, or we can recognize that there are some super upside. Absolutely um, agree. And we can create the upside. I have I mean? 100%. I think, I think we there's have to. never a better time Absolutely. after a seismic yeah. shift 100%. to turn it into an opportunity. Right. Who wants to be miserable? No. I can't sign up like, for that. Let's do shit. Let's yeah. make it let's happen. Let's get it done. And I think, you know, I think you've seen the 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 ripple of that throughout the industry right now. And I'm, I'm excited. Me I mean, too. I think that that's what gets me out of it. And I think it's the best time to be partners. Um, the idea of collaboration, this has always been such a combative um, mm-hmm. industry. I think that, you know, we have turned certain things into blood sports. Yeah. And I don't I don't know why. I think just I, I kind of wake up to question that every day going like, can't we just. I know. But I like, think you're right. I think that's shifting, too, yeah. because I think we realize we're all in it together and like better. Because yeah, to... we're not going to make it otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you got to keep your enemies close. You have to. Uh, well, this has been so great, Ryan. Thank, Thank you. you. And, you know, you're an inspiration, I think, to a lot of people. Thanks. Um, so keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And keep this podcast going. It's super fun. I'll keep doing it. As, awesome. long, as long as I have guests, I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you.